Hello, readers. Meg Gardner is the author of 16 acclaimed best-selling novels, a three-time champion on Jeopardy, and two-time president of Mystery Writers of America. Her newest book, co-authored with Oscar-nominated and Emmy-winning director Michael Mann, is Heat 2. That would be the sequel of Mann's 1995 crime thriller Heat, starring Al Pacino, Robert De Niro, Val Kilmer, and more. Meg, thank you for the time. How are you doing today? I'm well. How are you? Doing really well. Going to be honest with you, Heat is one of my all-time favorite movies. So when the opportunity arose to get to speak with you about the book sequel for this excellent movie, I jumped at the opportunity. Now, before we get into the details of the book itself, I'm curious, how did you link up with Michael Mann to uh, co-author this book with him? Well, he had uh, been thinking about the Heat universe, so to speak, for a long time, since even before the movie was, uh, you know, premiered in 1995 and had always wanted to expand the story, which he saw as uh, much bigger than just the the sliver that was presented on the screen. And uh, we have the same literary agent. So when the, he found out that I was... Uh, um, uh, around he read my novel unsub and then asked to talk to me about uh, about collaborating to to write the novel so we uh, hashed it out and uh, you know um, wrangled the the story he had the concept he had the the major uh, ideas for the 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 prequel and the sequel sections of the novel so we hashed out everything to to put it together in the most compelling way possible that we thought we could uh, make the characters uh, lives uh, become as vivid on the page as they had been on the screen and uh, draw readers uh, further into the world of uh, master thief Neil McCauley and uh, relentless uh, homicide detective Vincent Hanna and people like Chris Chihurl is played by Val Kilmer in the in the film and uh, the crew and their families their lovers uh, and everybody who um, who gets uh, pulled into the the massive flow of the criminal underworld. And just to help those who are listening or watching right now and don't remember the specific character names and who played them, Macaulay was played by Robert De Niro. Uh, Vincent Hanna was the Pacino character. Chris was Val Kilmer. Uh, the um, oh gosh, um, forgetting forgetting his name now. He's a great actor. He's Angelina Jolie's dad. John Voight played uh, the Nate, the uh, the fixer yeah. and fence. Um, yes. Danny Trejo is the the wheelman. Trejo, um, yeah, that's his. He, yes. they, they just took his last name and made that the character's name. Exactly. They, I mean, it's it's perfect as is. So uh, just uh, call the character Trejo as well. Uh, Michael T. Williamson is uh, uh, one of uh, Hannah's uh, detectives, as is. Um, as is Wes Studi and uh, Ted Levine, uh, just a wonderful cast. Natalie Portman in one of her first, very first roles is Hannah's stepdaughter in the in the movie. So um, Ashley Judd plays Chris's wife, uh, Charlene. And- AKA uh, Cinnamon. Pardon? AKA Cinnamon. Well, yes, as we find out in the uh, in the novel, as we learn more about her and uh, and her background. That's right. Yeah. You know, it's interesting to look at the history of the movie itself and just Michael Mann really thinking about this series. This is something that he tried to turn into a, a TV series, I want to say, back in the late 70s or early 1980s. Some of the characters in the film, specifically Hannah and Macaulay, are based on real life figures from the 1950s and 60s. 
was the prequel idea something that he was kicking around in his own head long before uh, y'all ever really got together to uh, to come up with Heat 2? I'm sure it was. Uh, he he um, he came up with the idea from for Heat by talking to uh, some close friends of his who were detectives on the Chicago police force, which is where Michael is uh, grew up and uh, found out uh, the story of how one of them um, had uh, Chuck Adamson had met up with a with a bank robber and had coffee with him uh, in the early 60s and they they developed a, a grudging respect for each other mm. while acknowledging that uh, they were on opposite sides of the law and that either you know if, if they ever came face to face again they might um, you know gun each other down which is uh, uh, something like that eventually happened <laughs> so that became a, a, a focal point for the idea for the film but of course um, for the film, Michael had uh, he had actually written extensive biographies for the major characters, which did not appear in the script. But he gave these uh, this background material to the actors so that they could inform their performances uh, by knowing where these where their characters had come from, how they had grown up, you know how great or terrible or extremely terrible their childhoods had been, how they had ended up uh, in uh, Vietnam or prison or a combination of the two and uh, then ended up uh, joining the police or uh, making a life of crime. So all that material was available to me and it was uh, a treasure trove when we when we came to thinking, working out the story for for the novel. Yeah, if I'm recalling correctly, Vincent Hanna's uh, background, his bio appeared in part two. Is that something where you didn't even have to do a whole lot of work? You were just able to take from what Michael had given to the actors back in the mid 1990s. Well, he, when I say there was there were background materials, it was it wasn't like a like a, a tome for the actors to have to do homework. <laughs> but you know, it was uh, 10, 15, you know, type pages for them to 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 read through. And uh, we expanded on that uh, in the in the novel and tried to dramatize as much of it as we could. And um, so it's not just a dry recitation of you know of statistics or a C, you know a, a resume, but uh, uh, stories that place the characters uh, in their world. Uh, but uh, it was great. It was absolutely great to uh, to have all that to, to have all that background. So for people who are hearing about this book for the first time now, where does Heat 2 pick up and what is the story being told? Heat 2 starts the day after the movie ends, when there has been a massive uh, shootout on the streets of Los Angeles between uh, Neil McCauley's crew and the LAPD after bank robbery goes bad. And uh, Chris Shaherlis, Val Kilmer's character, is the last survivor of the crew, and he is near dead from a gunshot wound, desperate to escape Los Angeles because he knows that uh, Vincent Hanna, Al Pacino, is closing in on him and wants nothing more than to capture or kill him. So it uh, it picks up uh, almost with with them with the dust still uh, rising from their feet after the after the movie and. Uh, Find out, you know, Chris knows that if he's going to stay alive and if he's going to protect his family, he has to get out of Los Angeles and out of the United States and have no contact with them uh, for a long time, which is uh, a, a desperate and uh, heart uh, ripping thing for him. But he understands that if he doesn't move 
immediately that uh, they are all going to, to be ruined or dead. So that kicks it off. And then it moves back to the late 80s when uh, Macaulay's crew is uh, living large, taking big scores, uh, having, you know, daring raids uh, and uh, basically being, uh, you know, having a lot of swagger and carrying off some uh, some great heists. And Hannah is a homicide detective in Chicago hunting a brutal home invasion crew. So we wanted to, Michael really wanted to set up the, uh, and of course he had come to the, to the project with these big ideas already firmly in place in his mind of how he wanted to to build out the story. So he wanted to start it back there, immediately dropping into action to showing these uh, people in the middle of their of their lives, an earlier stage of their life and uh, have the have those two threads running along uh, side by side so that they the the crew and the the cops don't quite intersect but there's some uh, there's some cross pollination that ends up creating havoc later down uh, later down the line and then uh, the story jumps forward to uh, 1996 when chris has escaped uh, to South America. He's in Paraguay. He is in exile. He's isolated in a in this crazy foreign um, city, which is a free trade zone, Ciudad del Este, on the border with Argentina and Brazil. And it is a shopper's paradise and a criminal's paradise, mm. and which he finds uh, out that everything is out in the open, all the money laundering, all the counterfeiting, all the um, you know, all the software uh, poaching is uh, weapons sales, uh, terrorism camps uh, are, are all right out in the open, run by people who were regarded as, uh, you know, the fathers of the city, the mothers of the city, people who are who don't regard themselves as being in, in evil or criminal in, in any major way. This is just commerce in, in the ultimate free enterprise zone. So Chris finds this a disorienting and yet um, very exciting and freeing environment. And he knows if he's ever going to get back to his family, he has to take the risk to make something of himself in this world beyond just working uh, security at a mall for uh, one of the local one of the local families. So it jumps to there, it goes back to the US-Mexican border where uh, Neil's crew in 1988 takes uh, takes a, down a score against a cartel stash house on the border. It, uh, it moves forward uh, then eventually to 2000, to the new millennium in, uh, in Los Angeles and Southeast Asia where all the, uh, all the threads uh, are pulled together. So your basic question a minute ago was, how did we, how did we do all this? That's what a lot of drafts are for <laughs> when you're writing a novel is to put the have the story all in your head and figure out how to um, how to switch back and forth between the timelines so that you create as much suspense and drama as possible in one and uh, then uh, then switch at the right moment to to leave readers uh, satisfied yet dangling a bit and to jump straight into another uh, storyline that is equally compelling and dramatic so they don't feel that they are um, losing losing ground or losing any sense of momentum. But uh, you know that, that takes a lot of talking between authors, uh, moving scenes around, deciding where where it's best to um, to cut and jump uh, jump back and forth. But uh, 
that's that's the fun of uh, of writing a novel. I would imagine there are some similarities with uh, cliffhanger television episodes, which I think at the end of part two, you did a good job of jumping to the present day in South America, where you left the 1988 story at a place where the reader, or at least me as a reader, is really looking forward to seeing what happens next. But I'm going to have to wait. Could be 50, 80, 100 more pages to uh, to find that out. But I'm sure there's going to be some great stuff in the meantime, you know? Well, good. I'm glad you think so. And yes, uh it does have similarities with uh, with with television episodes, and uh, of course, Michael Mann got his start in uh, writing as a, as a television writer. He wrote some of the earliest episodes of Starsky and Hutch. He created uh, Miami Vice and Crime Story, and he knows exactly how to uh, propel a story dramatically. Um, uh, through through a screenplay or a teleplay, and there's no difference uh, as far as story structure really when you're moving uh, to uh, to a novel on the page. So he, he knows exactly how to build a story. You know, learning how to write a novel takes uh, is a is a different set of skills. But for an accomplished writer uh, such as he is, that it uh, it didn't take it didn't take much. It just took a um, you know learning how to flex some new muscles. Now, were you uh, mostly responsible for the character dialogue in this book? Oh no, I think uh, it was it was a mix, okay. and uh, I, I mean, Michael wrote the screenplay for Heat, right? Uh, so the dialogue in the film is is his, and now having um, having recently gone to a screening of the film uh, at the Tribeca Festival in in New York. I will tell you that the, this gigantic theater was uh, packed with some mega fans who kept shouting out the <laughs> shouting out the lines of dialogue before the film even started. While Robert De Niro and Al Pacino were on the stage doing it, doing an interview, people were screaming out lines of dialogue at them <laughs> in the oh. middle of the theater. Uh, so. Uh, Michael knows how to write memorable dialogue. Let's say that, but uh, of course, there were there were big chunks of the book that you know, like you know, some chapters I would take a, a first crack at. Um, so I was, I had to learn how to work my way into the characters and learn their voices. And um, he, again, he was very helpful with that. With uh, you know, saying take another look at the script and see how each how each character. Um, verbalizes what's inside him you know hannah is uh, very sarcastic and verbose and macaulay is terse uh, you know if one he'll say one word if that'll do, get it done but if not he'll just grunt uh, you know some of the others you know are, have very melodious voices and uh, so that uh, that helped me just kind of put myself in their in their heads and in their in their minds but uh, again rewrites are wonderful things <laughs> so so when someone sends you back a note saying we don't have their voice yet you can take another crack at it well that's what i was going to ask about it because you know the final product uh shows that y'all nailed the voices i mean i could hear al pacino's voice in my head with pretty much every hand in line and it's stuff that you got used to in the movie itself same with macaulay same with the subdued chris character um and, and a lot of the other characters that people will be familiar with from the movie itself so there was a lot of note taking. There were rewrites. You read through the original transcripts itself. I'm assuming that you watched the movie once or twice to try and get a good feel for things. Maybe once or twice or 90 times. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I was already a fan though. So that is, yeah. uh, that was not uh, troublesome. I mean, and that the movie stands 
rewatching endlessly. It, it, I never tire of it. So it was a, a, an opportunity. Was there any pressure? Because we are in an era right now where we are seeing a lot of classic art recycled and some being done in excellent ways where you pay homage to the older thing while also trying to make the newer thing its own piece of art. And there's a there is a balance there. There is a fine line where it goes from tasteful to tacky. Uh, was that something that you were really cognizant of as you uh, as you and Michael were completing this project is making you sure you got that balance just right? Yes, I wouldn't call call the the the, the line we walked wasn't tasteful versus tacky in our case. It was um, honoring the spirit of the original and knowing how success, not just how successful it had been, but how the, the reason it had been so successful was because the story is so dramatic and so powerful and the characters are, um, are so vivid and their, their clash is so monumental that, uh, that the film, right. You know, the film reaches this, you know, epic climax and, the question then is, uh, how can we make sure that expanding the story uh, honors the characters uh, as well as uh, really um, expanding their world in, in ways that is as dramatic, as emotionally affecting, as uh, surprising and um, and gripping as the as the film was so and certainly I felt a huge sense of responsibility taking on this project because uh, the film has become a classic uh, it has become iconic and like and when you when you're sitting in a theater and realize people are, are screaming at Al Pacino <laughs> lines from the film you know that uh, that people uh, love the love the original material and um i needed to uh, honor uh, who the characters were and to make sure that the story really uh, matched michael's ambitions for for the for the novel so but yeah but it was a privilege and it was exhilarating and challenging and really wonderful <laughs> How many times did you hear some Yahoo scream out great ass to Al Pacino at that screening? Um, <laughs> I stopped counting. Yeah. <laughs> I was about to say that's, that probably got old really fast. <laughs> the interesting thing though was after there this massive theater in Manhattan was was filled, did have a huge uh, like coterie of mega fans. And yet it became clear that there was a, a total very much uh, a very younger group of um, uh, in the audience who had never seen it oh. because at certain turning points in the film uh, a surprising you know turn of events occurs and there was a mass gasp in the theater and uh, I said okay this is uh, this is a whole new audience that is coming to this and it's landing just as hard as it uh, as it did when it first premiered. Yeah, I showed the movie to a younger coworker a couple of years ago and he was floored. So I was like you, I was very happy to see that it has stood the test of time. What was the part that floored people? I don't think it's giving away spoilers at this point. But oh, it's, uh... they haven't seen it by now, they've screwed up. <laughs> really? It's the, it's the moment toward the end of the film when Hannah walks into his hotel room and uh, everybody is so involved with thinking that he's... Uh, 
he's blown, you know, that the case is, is done and he's, he has perhaps failed to, and he opens the bathroom door and he finds Natalie Portman in the bathtub, uh, having attempted suicide. So it's just um, this mass of, of blood in the, uh, in the, in the bathtub. And he then has to drag her out and, uh, and wrap up her wounds and, and raise her to the ER. But, but there was, uh, there was just this inhalation and just ab, just abject shock in the theater. So, yeah. I know it's not necessarily something that you're uh, being forthright and asking the question, but did you hear from any of the cast from the movie itself who had read the book, who had good things to say about what the, uh, what heat two did? I haven't personally heard from the cast yet. I know that uh, that uh, Val Kilmer gave an interview recently where he said that uh, that he would uh, he he thinks Michael should should definitely make uh, make the make the movie of Heat Two and that he loved working with him and would always love to work with him again. So. so that's that's the next question there, Meg. Are there plans to make a movie out of Heat Two? Well, would you be surprised to know that Michael Mann definitely has plans to make a movie out of Heat Two? That's he has uh, he has spoken about this, and uh, I know he I know he would uh, ideally love to have it on the big screen, and uh, that's as, that's as much as I can say. So yes, yes, big screen, but at the same time, the big screen often doesn't do justice to the books themselves, and we're in an age where television can do a really good job of encapsulating especially a book that is close to 500 pages long, I wonder if it wouldn't be better as a television series. But the other question I would have for him, because obviously these actors are all 30 years older uh, than they were when this movie is made, is are you considering using deep fake technology for Val Kilmer back in 1996? Are you going to cast younger actors for the Pacino and De Niro characters for the 1988 scenes? Like, how do you go about accomplishing that because that is maybe the biggest challenge with turning this into a movie right and you would have to you would have to ask uh michael mann himself and i i can't speak for him but i have heard uh, an interview with him recently where he said he did not want to use deep fake i don't know it's not deep fake he doesn't want to use de-aging technology on uh, on any actors to uh, to recreate that but um uh, it's all uh, it's all uh, yet to come. We shall see. And of course, he is brilliant at both films and television. I mean, if you have, I don't know if you've seen Tokyo Vice yet, which just premiered this year on uh, HBO Max. But uh, of course, he he knows exactly what he's doing in in both mediums. I've seen an ad for it. That's a Michael Mann vehicle. It's uh, he he uh, he he directed the 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 first episode. Oh, okay. and he's the executive producer of it. So yeah. I'll make sure to check that out. All right. I need to ask you a, a couple of questions about you and your career, because writing is actually your third career. You started out as an attorney mm -hmm. after, I believe, running track at Stanford, getting your undergrad degree and then your law degree. What did mm -hmm. you participate in in track and field at Stanford? I ran cross country, which is, you know, 5K over hills and creeks and rutted gullies and <laughs> through, through the bushes <laughs> but and then uh in track i ran uh the 400 and 800 meters so um decided oh. to just run in a circle and on a in a venue where i couldn't get lost are you still a, a runner in my mind i'm a I, i'm i'm as fast as ever my knees are telling me that i'm a I, i'm fooling myself <laughs> that's understandable uh, as an attorney, what type of law did you practice? Commercial litigation with a small firm in uh, in Los Angeles. So I was not a criminal 
attorney, uh, but uh, I certainly know the court system and uh, like imagining what it's uh, what it's like for people caught up in it. So regardless, how did serving as a lawyer help you in your career as a writer? It well, it, maybe it, maybe it, it, it helped. It helped terrifically. That certainly, as a trial lawyer, you write all the time, which is which keeps your keeps those chops up. But you've got to remember that in every legal case that uh, that goes to court, it's a story, it's hmm. a narrative, it's a story about something that has gone wrong between two parties, and the lawyer's job is to. Uh, to write or tell the that story uh, to a judge, a jury, in the most compelling way possible, to uh, to convince uh, and persuade them that uh, your client is uh, deserves uh, deserves the outcome that you seek. So, I mean, that's a that's a requirement of the the canons of ethics for, for lawyers to be a zealous advocate for your client, and uh, and and writing really comes into that. You learn how to be persuasive. You also learn that when you switch to writing novels, that if you um, if you totally tank it for some reason and get the story wrong, nobody's going to lose money. Nobody's going to go to jail. Nobody's going to have a judgment entered against them and have their house foreclosed on. So. Um, you can uh, you can do whatever you want and with while well, sleeping easy at night knowing that uh, that your client's not going to get dragged away so the second career was uh teaching writing at UC Santa Barbara what a beautiful campus to get to walk around on a uh, daily basis for you and i'm sure the students were very engaging as well for anybody who is considering getting into writing or is writing right now but it hasn't clicked for them just yet like what is uh what are some of your biggest keys for becoming uh, a successful writer persistence yeah. <laughs> develop your craft read everything uh that you can get your hands on certainly if you if you want to write in a in any kind of a genre read widely read beyond what you think you might be interested in uh, figure out what you love uh and why and what you don't love or think a, a book or a movie or TV show, what you, why you think it doesn't work, start learning how to analyze it uh, and write, just, just write as much as you can. You might want to take an adult ed class. You might want to take a college class. You might want to you know, do workshops, join a writer's group. Uh, if that'll help you get the words down on the page, but learn how to sit yourself down and finish your stuff. That's that's the basic thing. Finish your stuff. Learn how to get from the beginning to the end, whether that's a short story, flash fiction that's a thousand words long, uh, an epic fantasy novel uh, or what. And 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 know that. That it's a process. I mean, when I switched from law to, to the idea that I was going to write fiction, I thought it was going to be a snap because, mm. you know, I'd been writing every day at, at work. And I quickly learned that uh, that novels are a different. Uh, it's like switching sports. Mm. It's you have to uh, learn new skills uh, and uh, retrain uh, retrain your muscles to to learn a new discipline. So uh, don't be afraid to fail, experiment. Uh, but again, finish your stuff. And if uh, if you don't, if it's if it's not where it needs to be, write more stuff. All right. I'm sure you've talked about this ad nauseum, but you were a three-time Jeopardy champ back in the late 80s. Not just that, but your daughter either appeared or won Jeopardy a couple years ago. Yep. Uh, was her participation on that show 
Was it perpetuated by the fact that her mom won Jeopardy three different times? Uh, we haven't really delved into that in any kind of deep mother-daughter way, but I have to think that it was a spur to her. And yes, she was a Jeopardy champion as well. She was one of the last people who uh, actually appeared with Alex Trebek just uh, just a couple of weeks. He he only went on another couple of weeks after after she taped her her episodes. He, he is an so. all time great. Is he as uh, sweet a person in real life as he is uh, or as he was watching him on the television screen? Absolutely. He was so personable. He was warm with the contestants, always trying to reassure us and encourage us and uh, uh, let us know that, uh, you know, everything was going to be fine. Have a good time. And uh, it was really a wonderful opportunity to, to share the stage with him. So how confident were you in each of those three episodes that you won that you were going to be able to pull it off? Oh, I was never confident. I was just, oh. I was just like a barracuda, though, just determined. Locked in, just locked yes. in, ready to hit that buzzer, answer that exactly. Because you're up against people who are, you know, who who are also great players, and you just, you know, it's a it's a contest, and you just gotta strategize and uh, and hit the buzzer and uh, and uh, don't give like wrong, crazy answers, and uh, and then bet wisely when you get to final jeopardy. So not only did you win a nice chunk of change for your three victories, you got second place in that fourth try, which led to a stay at Beaver Creek Resort in Vail, Colorado. I'm assuming yeah. Je Jeopardy is not skimping on the uh, on the digs if they send you to to, uh, to Vail, Colorado. It was uh, it was a fantastic um, it was a fantastic uh, ski vacation, and I waited too long to book it, and then I was seven months pregnant by the time we got to, to go, so I didn't get to to, to learn how to ski. But uh, my husband certainly enjoyed it, and I and I got a lot of reading done in the snow. That is fair. And uh, last question, I guess, for you, Meg, for anybody who uh, is just now finding out about this book is maybe considering purchase it, uh, purchasing it. Uh, what do you love about Heat 2? It is a pedal to the metal standalone thriller that uh, uh, with amazing characters on all sides of the law, uh, great drama, finding out about these people's uh, wants, fears, longings, their loves, their tragedies, their triumphs, uh, a lot of twists and some amazing action set pieces. So if you have ever seen a Michael Mann movie, you know how well uh, he does action set pieces. And I got to write more of them with him. And uh, I think you will love reading them as much as I loved writing them. Great answer there. She is Meg Gardner. The new book co-authored with Michael Mann is Heat 2. You get it now wherever books are sold. Meg, thank you so much for the time today, and thank you for this very entertaining book. Well, thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. Thanks to Gentleman Jesus for the intro and outro music. Hear more of his work at GentlemanJesus.com. Thanks to you for checking us out. You can watch, listen, learn, and connect for free at BooksOnPod.com. For Books on Pod, I'm Trey Elling. Good day.